Hello listeners, welcome back to VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is July 17th, 2023. Patrick King is an internationally best-selling author and a social skills coach. His writing draws of a variety of sources, from scientific research, academic experience, coaching, and real-life experience. Today, we take a look at a chapter-by-chapter -chapter preview of his new audiobook, How to Speak Effectively. This book will take you into the intricacies of conversation and show you how to clearly communicate, speak with influence, and always be heard. Chapter 1. Communication Fundamentals – The Ladder of Inference In the chapter that follows, we're going to look closely at exactly what makes communication effective and what makes it miscommunication. We'll consider the importance of understanding the other person's frame of reference, how to frame your own position, what chunking is and how to use it, and how to adjust your mindset so you become a conscious, clean communicator. But first, what is miscommunication? Have you ever been speaking with someone, feeling as though you're reaching them when all of a sudden they say something that lets you know that you're both on completely different wavelengths. It can be a disorienting and frustrating experience, but miscommunication happens for a reason, and it can be avoided. Poor communication arises as a result of a mismatch of perspectives, approach, or conversational skill. Being an effective communicator means appreciating that the complicated process of communication doesn't happen by accident. To avoid misunderstandings, you need to consciously and actively take charge of the process. And this is especially true when your message is subtle, nuanced, or very abstract. If you examine any moment of miscommunication clearly, you'll see that understanding breaks down for a few reasons. One or both of you has failed to understand how the other is viewing things. Faulty assumptions have been made, or someone has jumped to conclusions. In 1974, business professor Chris Argyris created a handy tool for better communication, which he called the Ladder of Inference, sometimes called the Ladder of Inquiry. The ladder is a metaphor for the way people think whenever they're given new information. It's about how new data and information is processed. What's useful about his metaphor is that it reminds us, in a simple way, that different people tend to process information in different ways. If we are unaware that this is happening, we can talk at cross-purposes, and miscommunication arises. Before we look at the latter, let's consider an example. Imagine a couple working together on a household budget. Jamie is looking back at the past six months and trying to find out where they overspent and why. Alex is looking ahead to the next six months and trying to figure out what kind of summer vacation they can afford. They end up having an enormous argument with Jamie thinking that Alex is not taking money concerns seriously or taking responsibility for overspending, whereas Alex can't see why Jamie is stuck on what's in the past and can't be changed. They both find themselves saying, I'm just trying to get a handle on our financial situation. And yet, mysteriously, they also both feel that the other one is getting in the way. What's happened here? According to Argyris, communication has broken down, and it's because Jamie and Alex are on different rungs of the ladder of inference. 
If you've ever experienced a communication breakdown of this kind, you'll know that it can be very subtle and hard to pinpoint. Often, we're only actually aware of our assumptions, expectations, and frames of reference when they conflict with someone else's. But this is where the ladder comes in. It looks as follows. Imagine a ladder with each rung gradually getting smaller from bottom to top. Actions, beliefs, conclusions, assumptions, meanings, selected data, observations. Now imagine that this ladder is standing in a big puddle of water, which we'll call the pool of observations. This pool contains all the possible conversations we can make about the world. Chapter 2. Mastering Style and Tone Eliminate crutch words and empty language. So, um, you probably already, like, know what crutch words are and, well, how they can undermine your communication and stuff, you know, right? If that makes sense. It's not uncommon to feel a little flustered when speaking. It's not uncommon to feel distracted, unprepared, or unfocused. After all, the communication we're talking about is everyday communication, not carefully crafted speeches and presentations. Natural speech is often a little disjointed, loose, and open-ended. Crutch words, or filler words, can act like necessary padding or pauses to help us catch our breath, collect our thoughts, and process the next thing we want to say. The trouble is when this kind of fluff language takes over and starts detracting from the overall message. A crutch word helps prop you up, but it can make you harder to understand, hurt your credibility, and distract from what you're saying. So much of what we say is socially and culturally coded, and filler words can come with an enormous set of assumptions, insinuations, and prejudices. Words like, um, uh, well, you know, like, so, right, okay, and, hmm, can we like little speed bumps that interrupt the flow of your message? It's easy to see why. If you're talking to someone who's showing you that every third or fourth word they use essentially has no meaning, are you likely to pay more or less attention to what they say? The irony is that in using crutch words to fill an awkward silence, we end up diluting our message and making it less likely that people pay attention to all those other non-crutch words. More than this, using crutch words can actively annoy people and signal a subtle lack of conversational awareness and etiquette. Consider that when you open your mouth, you are taking the floor, even if it's in a very casual and freeform setting. You're holding the mic, so to speak. If people get the sense that you're hogging this position without really saying anything, they're likely to get annoyed or bored, and they may be tempted to interrupt or just ignore you. Get comfortable with pausing. To get rid of an over-reliance on crutch words, you need to learn to do one thing. Embrace silence. Usually, filler words and fluff are there to deal with a mild sense of anxiety, to fill the void, and to keep up feeling of flow when you're not quite sure what you're saying next. But if you actively embrace those natural pauses in speech, you empower yourself to be a more proactive, conscious, and confident speaker. You're not afraid of awkward silences. 
you are actively using them as one of the many tools you have in your conversational itinerary. If you have a bad crutch word habit, don't worry. This can actually be used to your advantage. By replacing every crutch word with a thoughtful, assured pause, you communicate a few powerful things to your audience. You're confident, either in yourself or in what you have to say. You don't feel that you need to quickly say your piece or rush through what you're saying for fear that you'll be interrupted or ignored. In treating your own message with this kind of attention and respect, you convey to others a belief in its value, and they can't help but do the same. You show consideration for your audience. If someone is blundering and blathering on with very... Chapter 3. Painting with Words. The Art of Vivid Language. Use imagery and rhythm. Whether you're speaking to one person or an entire audience, if you want your listeners to really absorb what you say to them, paint them a picture. That is, help them paint their own mental picture of what you're saying. Verbal expression is a fundamentally human characteristic. But long before we evolved even this, we processed our world in pictures via five senses deeply embedded in the real physical world. That means that if we can talk in such a way as to address and engage this pre-verbal world of imagery and sensation, we allow ourselves to connect with other people on a deeper level. This is what vivid language does, and visual imagery and rhythm, sight and sound, are two powerful components. Those who are naturally talented speakers find themselves drawing on these extra-verbal skills without consciously realizing it. But once you're aware of how to do so deliberately, you might find that a whole world of expression opens up to you, and you instantly become a more compelling, relatable, and vibrant speaker. How to Paint the Picture all words are representations of ideas, but as they say, a picture paints a thousand words. Images are richer and work more quickly and more effectively on listeners. Using imagery can actually bypass language in a way and transmit information that feels closer to lived experience and not just something that someone is telling you about. To get the hang of using imagery in conversation, you need to master the use of three tools. One, concreteness. Two, simile. Three, metaphor. Concreteness is about being embedded in the world, about being real. You can define a technical term a million different ways, but the moment you give someone an example of what you're talking about, they will instantly understand it on a deeper, more tangible level. Many highly skilled orators, like politicians or motivational speakers, will make abstract theories and concepts instantly relatable by boiling them down into real terms. Instead of talking about the economy, they talk about people sitting around a kitchen table doing the family budget. They talk about specific people, specific places, and real events. In the same way that emotional responses are processed more quickly in the brain than rational ones, Things we can touch, see, smell, etc. are processed more easily and more quickly than symbols and abstractions. Simile is one way that we can tether an abstraction to something else, usually something less abstract. It's a comparison 
that uses usually like or as. For example, it was like a kick in the teeth. As easy as pie. They descended on the buffet like a plague of locusts. Metaphor is another way to tether abstract to concrete and make illuminating comparisons. An oft-repeated metaphor that many of us will remember from school is the classic, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Metaphors directly state that something is something else in order to compare two different but related ideas or objects. The mitochondria metaphor works because none of us have actually seen mitochondria, and the way in which they generate energy is rather complex and vague. However, if a teacher tells you it's like a power... Chapter 4. Communication's Most Underrated Skill. Asking the Right Questions. Communication is certainly about what you say and how you say it. But that's only 50% of the conversation, right? In this chapter, we'll take a closer look at the important but sadly overlooked skills of listening, asking questions, and allowing the other person to shine during conversations. Becoming a better communicator is not the same as becoming a better public speaker. Knowing how to carefully present your ideas is only one half of the story. Your listener is the other half, and unless they are on board, you will only ever be engaging in a monologue, not a dialogue. One of the easiest and most natural ways to connect with the other person is to just ask questions. So many poor communicators could instantly improve by doing this alone, but asking the right questions is also important. What's more, you need to pay special attention to how you ask them and when. Mastering the questioning process means you gather more and better quality information, you build stronger connections with others, you inspire trust and liking, you learn, and you may even find yourself being helpful in someone else's learning process. In short, good questions allow you to access the best that communication can be. Have you ever been in a conversation where it felt you were being interrogated? Think back to a memory like this, or just imagine what that kind of scene would look like. Now, what are the kind of questions that an interrogator asks? Did you do it? Where were you the night of the 11th? You knew the victim, right? All of the above are closed questions, meaning they have only one short possible answer, yes or no, or some other tiny single-word snippet of information. A closed question is like a little dart that demands only one specific kind of information from the other person. It's closed because, in effect, it closes the whole world of potential answers down, usually just to one or two options. Consequently, it closes the conversation itself down. Once you answer a closed question, there's very little else for you to do. If you use only closed questions in conversation, you risk coming across as an interrogator because others will feel that you are deliberately and forcefully closing off avenues in this way. The other person will rightly feel that they're sitting there at your mercy, being probed. It's not fun, and it usually peters out pretty quickly. That said, closed questions have their uses, too. You can use them to confirm your understanding of what you've been told. So you're a history major then, right? 
you can use them to make conclusions or summaries of what's been discussed so far. So, we've all agreed to never go to McDonald's for lunch again, right? You can also use them as part of frame setting, i.e., to set the tone and scope of a more formal or structured conversation. Were you satisfied with your service at McDonald's today? Imagine closed questions like periods in a sentence. You only need a few, but when used correctly, they help structure your sentences and give you a pause now and then. Use too many, and everything will feel too rapid-fire and staccato. In what situations can we use open-ended questions? Well, that question itself is a good example of one. We're opening the range of possible answers. And it- Chapter 5. When it all goes wrong. Effective conflict resolution. Conflict exists, whether we like it or not. It's inevitable that disagreements will arise whenever and wherever people have to deal with one another due to their inherent diversity of opinion, taste, and experience. In certain cases, conflict can even be thought of as desirable since it ultimately strengthens bonds, forces people to communicate better, and helps them collaborate in realistic ways. In this chapter, we'll look at ways to manage conversations that have gone bad or navigate those that may prove challenging. In an article published in the Journal of Managerial Sciences in 2009, Professor Abdul Ghaffar of Kurtaba University argued that conflict is necessary because it draws our attention to the most relevant issues, encourages participation, helps people recognize and benefit from their differences, and raises awareness of problems. It can help both parties clarify their desires, blind spots, and boundaries. Different Types of Conflict Most of us just want to avoid conflict, but this prevents us from learning more about it and becoming better at handling it when it inevitably arises. Not all conflict is the same. Take a look at some variants. Affective Conflict Affective here indicates that the conflict is heavily tinged with emotion. Think interpersonal clashes that are filled with high levels of rage, fear, sadness, guilt, and so on. Substantive conflict. This is when people, often a group, disagree about the task at hand or the goal they are jointly working toward, i.e., disagreement over what constitutes a fact or reality. In professional settings, it can thoroughly undermine an organization's effectiveness. Conflict of interest. This occurs when there's tension in how limited resources are allocated between two or more parties. Usually, each party agrees on the fundamentals of the situation, but they are, in essence, competing for the same resources and are therefore at odds. Retributive conflict. As the name suggests, This describes a conflict where one or both parties is engaged in punishing the other for some perceived crime, usually an instance of that party trying to punish them. Conflict in values. This is not a disagreement about facts, i.e. what is, but about principles, values, and beliefs, i.e. what could or ought to be. Goal conflict. This occurs when people cannot agree on a shared goal. Displaced conflict. This is a kind of secondary conflict, 
Both parties may shift their hostilities onto a third unrelated party or focus on irrelevant issues and fight about those instead of the real problem. Of course, people are endlessly creative in the ways they clash with one another, so any particular conflict can be a unique blend of a few of the above or change over time from one to another. Understanding the type of conflict you're dealing with is a great first step in resolving it. As we've already seen, getting an insight into the unmet emotional needs behind conflict, that is, relatedness, certainty, autonomy, fairness, and so on, can give us a way forward in addressing those needs and relieving conflict. The Thomas Kilman Method Chapter 1. Communication Fundamentals The Ladder of Inference In the chapter that follows, we're going to look closely at exactly what makes communication effective and what makes it miscommunication. We'll consider the importance of understanding the other person's frame of reference, how to frame your own position, what chunking is and how to use it, and how to adjust your mindset so you become a conscious, clean communicator. But first, what is miscommunication? Have you ever been speaking with someone, feeling as though you're reaching them, when all of a sudden they say something that lets you know that you're both on completely different wavelengths? It can be a disorienting and frustrating experience. But miscommunication happens for a reason, and it can be avoided. Poor communication arises as a result of a mismatch of perspectives, approach, or conversational skill. Being an effective communicator means appreciating that the complicated process of communication doesn't happen by accident. To avoid misunderstandings, you need to consciously and actively take charge of the process. And this is especially true when your message is subtle, nuanced, or very abstract. If you examine any moment of miscommunication clearly, you'll see that understanding breaks down for a few reasons. One or both of you has failed to understand how the other is viewing things, faulty assumptions have been made, or someone has jumped to conclusions. In 1974, business professor Chris Argyris created a handy tool for better communication, which he called the Ladder of Inference sometimes called the ladder of inquiry. The ladder is a metaphor for the way people think whenever they're given new information. It's about how new data and information is processed. What's useful about his metaphor is that it reminds us, in a simple way, that different people tend to process information in different ways. If we are unaware that this is happening, we can talk at cross-purposes and miscommunication arises. Before we look at the latter, let's consider an example. Imagine a couple working together on a household budget. Jamie is looking back at the past six months and trying to find out where they overspent and why. Alex is looking ahead to the next six months and trying to figure out what kind of summer vacation they can afford. They end up having an enormous argument with Jamie thinking that Alex is not taking money concerns seriously or taking responsibility for overspending, whereas... Alex can't see why Jamie is stuck on what's in the past and can't be changed. They both find themselves saying, I'm just trying to get a handle on our financial situation. And yet, mysteriously, they also both feel that the other one is getting in the way. What's happened here? According to Argyris, communication has broken down, and it's because Jamie and Alex are on different rungs of the ladder of inference. 
If you've ever experienced a communication breakdown of this kind, you'll know that it can be very subtle and hard to pinpoint. Often, we're only actually aware of our assumptions, expectations, and frames of reference when they conflict with someone else's. But this is where the ladder comes in. It looks as follows. Imagine a ladder with each rung gradually getting smaller from bottom to top. Actions, beliefs, conclusions, assumptions, meanings, selected data, observations. Now imagine that this ladder is standing in a big puddle of water, which we'll call the pool of observations. This pool contains all the possible conversations we can make about the world. This has been How to Speak Effectively, Influence, Engage, and Charm, written by Patrick King, narrated by Russell Newton. Copyright 2023 by Patrick King. Production copyright by Patrick King. Chapter 1. Communication Fundamentals. The Ladder of Inference. In the chapter that follows, we're going to look closely at exactly what makes communication effective and what makes it miscommunication. We'll consider the importance of understanding the other person's frame of reference, how to frame your own position, what chunking is and how to use it, and how to adjust your mindset so you become a conscious, clean communicator. But first, what is miscommunication? Have you ever been speaking with someone, feeling as though you're reaching them, when all of a sudden they say something that lets you know that you're both on completely different wavelengths? It can be a disorienting and frustrating experience. But miscommunication happens for a reason, and it can be avoided. Poor communication arises as a result of a mismatch of perspectives, approach, or conversational skill. Being an effective communicator means appreciating that the complicated process of communication doesn't happen by accident. To avoid misunderstandings, you need to consciously and actively take charge of the process. And this is especially true when your message is subtle, nuanced, or very abstract. If you examine any moment of miscommunication clearly, you'll see that understanding breaks down for a few reasons. One or both of you has failed to understand how the other is viewing things. Faulty assumptions have been made, or someone has jumped to conclusions. In 1974, business professor Chris Argyris created a handy tool for better communication, which he called the Ladder of Inference, sometimes called the Ladder of Inquiry. The ladder is a metaphor for the way people think whenever they're given new information. It's about how new data and information is processed. What's useful about his metaphor is that it reminds us, in a simple way, that different people tend to process information in different ways. If we are unaware that this is happening, we can talk at cross-purposes and miscommunication arises. Before we look at the latter, let's consider an example. Imagine a couple working together on a household budget. Jamie is looking back at the past six months and trying to find out where they overspent and why. Alex is looking ahead to the next six months and trying to figure out what kind of summer vacation they can afford. They end up having an enormous argument 
with Jamie thinking that Alex is not taking money concerns seriously or taking responsibility for overspending, whereas Alex can't see why Jamie is stuck on what's in the past and can't be changed. They both find themselves saying, I'm just trying to get a handle on our financial situation. And yet, mysteriously, they also both feel that the other one is getting in the way. What's happened here? According to Argerus, communication has broken down, and it's because Jamie and Alex are on different rungs of the ladder of inference. If you've ever experienced a communication breakdown of this kind, you'll know that it can be very subtle and hard to pinpoint. Often, we're only actually aware of our assumptions, expectations, and frames of reference when they conflict with someone else's. But this is where the ladder comes in. It looks as follows. Imagine a ladder... You've reached the end of another episode of VoiceOver Work and Audiobook Sampler. Where do you listen? Connect with us at newtonmg.com and connect with today's author, Patrick King, at bit.ly slash pkconsulting. While there, don't forget to sign up for his newsletter to receive his free materials. We'll see you next week for another audiobook preview from a newest title.